who cut in on you? And that's straight from Paul. That was Paul's word, his terminology, coming out of Galatians 5, 7. So Paul says, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? When Paul speaks about obedience to the truth, it's in contrast to what the people of Galatia were being taught. The people of Galatia were being taught, obey the law, obey the law, obey the law. And Paul said, no, if that's the route you want to take, obedience to the law, do you understand how much of the law you have to obey? You have to obey 100% of the law. Because remember, we looked at, cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything written in the book of the law. He said, those who want to be under the law, are you sure you want to be under the law? Are you sure you want to attempt to relate to God by your own efforts and your own work and your own morality and your religious activity? Do you understand what's required by God when you try to relate to God by your works, morality, and religious activity? He said, what's required is 100% perfection. He said, are you sure you want to do that? Because you're going to fail miserably. In doing that, you fall from grace, meaning you're not relating to God based upon what Christ did for you. You're now relating to God based upon your commitment, your effort, your resolutions, your promises to do better. He said, and that is to fall from grace. So he's pointing people always to the truth, obedience to the truth. One of the favorite words of in my experience, of people who are caught up in legalism is they love the word obedience. Make sure you obey, make sure you obey, make sure you obey. Obedience, obedience, obedience is preached. When Paul preached obedience, notice, it was always obedience to the truth. What truth is he talking about? Well, it's the very truth they diverted from. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of the finished work of Christ. It's the truth where you and I are righteous in Christ because of what Christ did. He took all of our sinfulness, gave us all of his righteousness, and we are right with God. We are at peace with God. Uh, we are forgiven by God. We live in the environment, the atmosphere of forgiveness. We're righteous. And Paul says that's the truth you need to obey. How do we obey the truth of the gospel? By faith. We trust it. Paul says the same thing in Romans. It's obedience to the truth, and it's always in contrast to this self-righteous, works-oriented obedience to a standard or a system. So Paul says here, you were running a good race. Now, what kind of race were they running? It's the grace race. Paul always thought in terms of athletics. 75% of Paul's illustrations were athletic illustrations. Paul loved the Greek games. He loved athletics. And I think that's what connected he and Timothy together so much. Paul and Timothy had a lot of commonality together. And I think one of the things that brought them together was their shared interest in, in athletics. Remember, Paul told Timothy, hey, exercise is really good, Timothy. Don't stop exercising. But at the same time, remember, spiritual exercise is important as well. So that gives us a little insight into Timothy. He really loved to work out. He was probably an athlete himself. That's probably why Paul chose him over John Mark, because to be a missionary in those days, you, you were climbing over some rough, rugged territory, some very dangerous geography. You had to have some athletic in you, a little athlete in you, to, to be able to do the work of a missionary then. John Mark's personality probably wasn't meant for the mission field. He had another place that the Lord could use John Mark. So they were running a good race. They were relating to God by grace. They were 
walking in the faith of what Jesus had done for them on the cross. They were confident they were forgiven. They were confident that they were righteous. And then something happened. He said, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth, to keep you from walking by faith in what Christ did for you? Who cut in on you? So you can imagine runners are running, and the runner's running a good race, and all of a sudden, one runner begins running the race in a way that the race was not intended to be ran, and he cuts off a runner, causing the runner to stumble and causing the runner to fall. Well, Paul's drawing an illustration here. It's like, hey, I'm running the grace race. I'm enjoying this pace of grace, and I'm enjoying what Christ has done for me on the cross, and I'm resting in what Christ has done for me on the cross. And all of a sudden, this religious runner comes and cuts off this person running in the grace lane. They bring law into that person's life. They said, oh, I know you're running in grace, and I know Paul taught you to run in grace, but you've got to add some works. You've got to add some law. You've got to add some effort. It's not just faith. You're not forgiven simply by faith. You're not in fellowship simply by faith. You're not righteous simply by faith in what Christ has done. You've got to contribute something. And in doing that, they cut in on them. And so Paul asked them a question. Who did it? Who's the illegal runner? Who's the Judaizer? Who came down from Jerusalem and who cut in on you and caused you to desert grace? to move away from what Christ had done for you and to rest and relax in what Christ did for you on the cross. So spiritual leaders will cut in on your grace race. These spiritual leaders existed then and they exist today. They will cut in on you and they will cause you to move away from what Christ did for you on the cross and get you to believe that in order to be forgiven and stay forgiven and to be in fellowship and stay in fellowship and to be at right with God and at peace with God, not only is it faith in Christ, but it's in faith in Christ plus whatever they tell you you have to do every day or once a year or, you know, once a week or whatever their list is. They are, they're adding to the work of Christ and in doing that, they're cutting in. So how do spiritual leaders cut in on your grace race? Number one, by invasion. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So you can see they're running. They're running the grace race, and they just invade. They just come right in. That's what these people who want to pull you away from the finality and the work of Christ, they will just invade your spiritual life. And they will begin to promote their works-oriented system, combining it with the work of Christ, which then dilutes the work of Christ. So one is invasion, two is persuasion. Galatians 5.8 says, Paul says, Such persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Now who is the one who called them? Well, he's going back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, when he says, You're deserting the very one who called you into grace. So Galatians 1.6, he's referring back to the Christ has called us into grace. Christ has called us into freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Freedom from what? Freedom from self-effort. Freedom from religious activity to be right with God. Freedom from trying morally to be right with God. You have been set free because Jesus makes you right with God. Then these religious leaders cut in on you and me. They begin to say Jesus isn't enough. It's Jesus plus something. And then they persuade people to believe in their religious system. They're very persuasive. They're, they're very, they're good 
Bible teachers. They're good speakers. They're good in front of people. They're extremely persuasive. They'll take verses out of context so they can very easily begin to manipulate the minds of people who at one time were resting and relaxing in grace and that all of a sudden we go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 and Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you, who tricked you? Foolish means you put your brain on a shelf. You stop thinking. You stop logically looking at Scripture. You stop logically looking at the work of Christ on the cross. And you started looking at your own works and your own efforts. And this was done by those who persuaded you to move away from resting in what Christ did and now adding to what Christ did. But, well, I've got to do something. Yeah, I've got to do this every day to be right with God or to feel good about God. And so they can very easily persuade us that's why Paul said in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't let yourself be placed back into a yoke of, of bondage. No matter who the person is teaching you, whether it's me or anybody, they didn't die for you on the cross. No pastor died for you on the cross. No Bible study teacher died for you on the cross. No small group leader died for you on the cross. Christ died for you. So I think I want to relate to God based upon the one who died for me, not based upon the one who has a Bible in his hand and who's telling me this is what you have to do. I'd rather relate to God through what Christ did for me and understanding that in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, the, the finished work of Christ. So persuasion is number two. Spiritual leaders will cut in on your grace race by invasion. Number two, persuasion. Number three, contamination. Galatians 5, 9. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. Here's what Paul understood. You can take a whole group like this, and everybody can be enjoying the grace race together. Everybody can be growing in grace together. And suddenly, one person can begin very slowly to inject just a little bit of works and a little bit of legalism and a little bit of self-effort and a little bit, hey, you know what? I know Christ died for you on the cross, but you have to do this. To be close to God. You have to do this to grow in your relationship with God. You have to do this to be in fellowship with God. And very slowly that can begin to, mm, yeah, that does sound kind of right. And one person begins to, yeah, accept it. And then another person accepts it. And then all of a sudden this legalism begins to work through the whole group. That's how quickly a church can go from being a grace church to a legalistic church. And they won't even know it. They won't even see it. it happen so quickly and so slowly. Suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, what happened to our church? And we've moved away from the gospel of grace. That's what happened in Galatia. Remember, Paul started the church. The church was passionate about grace. They were resting in what Christ did for them on the cross. They were growing in grace. They were resting in their righteousness and the forgiveness that Christ provided, knowing they were in fellowship with God. And suddenly these Judaizers came in. They began trickling in to Galatia. And they very slowly began to invade the spiritual lives of people, persuade them, and then contaminated the whole body. So that they then, to have zero to do with Paul, they wanted to kick Paul out of Galatia, the one who taught them about grace, and they wanted to keep the Judaizers. That's why Paul wrote Galatians chapter 4. We looked at that with Hagar and with Sarah and with Isaac and Ishmael. 
spiritual leaders will experience from God, number one, evaluation. So Paul goes into Galatians 5.10. Paul said, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the view of, of the gospel. You will take no other view. Because these teachers were coming in with a different perspective and a different gospel. Remember, he says in Galatians 1, if anybody brings a different gospel other than the gospel that we bring to you, let him be accursed. They had different views. Well, different views about what? What does it take to be right with God? What does it take to be forgiven by God? What does it take to be in fellowship with God? So even today, a lot of people have a lot of views, right? Depending on who's, who's teaching or who we're listening to on the radio or what book we're reading or what we're watching on TV. Lots of people have lots of views when it comes to what does it take to be right with God? What does it take to be close to God? And what does it take to stay in fellowship with God? Paul said, I'm confident in the Lord that you, the Galatians, will have no other view about forgiveness and righteousness and fellowship than what I, Paul, is teaching you. Well, what's Paul's view? Galatians 1 through 5. He lays it out. That righteousness comes by faith in Christ. Forgiveness comes by faith in Christ. And fellowship comes by faith in Christ. Peace with God comes by faith in Christ. Remember the word faith is used over 19 times in the book of Galatians. He's trying to move them to faith in Christ, not performance under any kind of religious system. And he says, I'm confident that you will take no other view than the view of grace, than the view of complete forgiveness and complete righteousness and complete fellowship with God because of what Christ has done for you, where your forgiveness is eternal and your righteousness is eternal and your fellowship is eternal. And it's a free gift given to you by God through Christ. He says, I'm confident you will take no other view. But the one who's troubling you, who's cutting in on your grace race, the one who is troubling you will bear the judgment, whoever he may be. So Paul is singling out the very person who came into the Galatian church and was causing them to turn their back on grace and turn back to the law. And he's singling this person out that this person is going to undergo evaluation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives insight into the evaluation that people like me who teach the Bible will undergo when that day comes, that day of evaluation, that day of judgment, not for my sins, but for my teaching. My sins were judged at the cross. I was judged as guilty. Christ took my judgment. I stand before him righteous. I stand before him innocent. I stand before him forgiven. I stand before him at peace with God because of what he's done for me. I can't mess any of that up. But I will bear the judgment of what I teach you. And what I teach on a Sunday morning here, what I teach at a small group, that will be evaluated. Paul looks at this process in 1 Corinthians. And he says... In 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5, Paul says, I care very little, however, if I am judged by you or any human court. What he's talking about there is to the Corinthian people. They were sitting in judgment upon Paul's teaching. They were saying, you know what? We have a list of preachers or teachers in Corinth. Paul's at the bottom of the list to them. 
Paul had gone to the bottom of the list in Galatia. He had gone to the bottom of the list in Corinth. They were very critical of Paul. They were very condemning of Paul. But Paul understood that, yes, other people can judge me based upon the theology that I teach and the personality that I teach with. Remember what they said about Paul? He's not flashy. He's, he's not a good speaker. He's not a great orator. He doesn't communicate well. He's highly unimpressive. And Paul said, listen, you might be right about all that. I may not be the great orator. I may not be, be able to put a great speech together like the Corinthians can. I may not be able to do any of those things. But here's what I do know, that when I come to you, I come with you with one message, and that's Christ and him crucified. He says, and the power of my message isn't in my persuasive communication. The power of my message is in the power of the cross. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians. That's why we always want to have teachers who point people to the cross. Because that's where the power is. That's where the life change is. Uh, and then to the resurrection and then Christ in you. Paul was always pointing people not only to the cross and the finished work of Christ, but the fullness of Christ in them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul was always pointing people to the cross. Now he would correct morality after he created a foundation of the gospel. He would teach moral things like he does in Colossians and like he does in, in Ephesians. Take off the old, put on the new. But he never went there unless the people first understood the gospel. And we've kind of got it flipped in our day. It's like people don't understand the gospel. Well, we're going to make sure they behave right. And what I've noticed is the more that people understand the gospel, their behavior changes simply as they understand the gospel. It's amazing the power of the gospel. So Paul said this. I don't care if you judge me, Corinthians. However, if I am judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is, my conscience is clear, but that does not vindicate me. Just because I think what I'm teaching is right doesn't mean what I'm teaching is right. So a, a pastor's conscience can be very clear in what they're teaching, but that doesn't mean what they're teaching is correct. So Paul says this, It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Typically, when we look at this section of verses, it's communicated. All right. When the time comes, Jesus is going to evaluate all the believers. But what specifically Paul's talking about here is not the evaluation of all believers. It's the evaluation of teachers. That's the context. So let's look at this context. And it says that each time, at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Let's look at the context of this. It starts off in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11. Paul says this. He's responding to the criticism of the Corinthians about his communication of the gospel. Paul says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. So when Paul went into Galatia and into Ephesus and into Thessalonica and into all the other cities that he went into, Corinth, Paul was an expert in church planting. Paul knew what he was doing when he went into a city to start a church. Theologically, he was right. His methods were right. Why was Paul an expert 
in church planting? And why was Paul an expert in what he communicated about the gospel? Because he was discipled by the ascended Jesus. And he spent a lot of time with Jesus before he ever went on one missionary journey. And Jesus taught Paul how to start churches in these Gentile cities. And then after teaching Paul how to start churches in Gentile cities and the truth that he needed to communicate in the Gentile cities, then he sent Paul into the Gentile cities. We see that in Acts 26. We see it in Acts chapter 20. We see it in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul was an expert in grace. So he would go in and he would lay a foundation of grace. And what was that foundation? 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting our sins against us. And we're ambassadors of this message as if God is speaking through us, that Jesus who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's his message. That was the foundation, that God's not counting your sins against you. Why isn't God counting my sins against me? Because they were all counted against Christ. And if all of my sins and all of your sins were counted against Christ, then how many of your sins are left to be counted against you? Zero. That's the foundation of spiritual growth. If I still think God's counting my sins against me, I'm I'm not going to grow. Growth begins when I really grasp the gospel of grace. Jesus became sin for me. I'm righteous before him now by faith. He took my unrighteousness and my sinfulness, gives me his righteousness and his perfect standing. My sins are not being counted against me, so I don't have to spend my life asking for forgiveness or trying to stay forgiven or trying to stay in fellowship with God by confessing sins that he's not counting against me. That's when my spiritual growth finally started. 1990, when I understood that truth, it's like, up until that point, it was trying and effort and works and is that I do this today and have I done this and all my sins are confessed. It was total preoccupation with me and just a little preoccupation with Jesus. But when the foundation of grace finally came, it was like I'm going to be 100% concentrating on what Christ did for me on the cross. And I used to keep journals. And I had about 10 journals. And my journals were so self-preoccupied. Oh, my goodness. I wish I could do better. God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to do better next time. Please help me. Here's these long prayers. Oh, God, please help me. I'm going to try to do my quiet times more. I'm so sorry I missed my quiet times. And then when I began to see the glory of the cross, the, the Christ hanging on the cross for me, it's like, what in the world am I doing being preoccupied with myself and my religious activities, if that could do something when Christ was hanging on the cross for me. And then I switched. I began seeing Paul. This life I live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me because I can't get it together. I threw every journal away and I stopped being preoccupied with me. Now, is journaling good for some people? Absolutely. Do some people need to journal? Sure. Is anything wrong with it? No. Does God require it? No. Certain personalities like to journal, and that's fine. But God doesn't evaluate or judge us based upon whether we journal. That, that's silly, isn't it? When you consider that Jesus gave himself on the cross, that God said, oh, did you journal today? That's silly. That's legalism. That, it can very easily come in through a teacher, and they'll promote journaling, or they're this spiritual discipline, or that spiritual discipline, or this what you need to do. And they've invaded your life in Christ. They persuaded you to believe something different about how you relate to God other than Christ. 
They've now contaminated your relationship with God, and it could spread to other people. So the foundation of grace, which is really what we've laid in here since we started this Bible study. So Paul said, I laid a foundation when I went into these churches to start grace-based churches. And when I leave these cities, he says, someone else is building on it. And Paul said, people are going to build upon this foundation that I've laid, this foundation of grace. Other teachers are going to come in, and they're going to build upon it through their teaching. And here's what he says about that. But each one who teaches and builds upon this foundation of grace that I laid as an expert must be careful how he builds. For no one or no teacher can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation which you and I relate to God from. And if anybody says, hey, I know Jesus went to the cross for you, but unless you journal every day, then you're not right with God. Unless you confess your sins every day, then you're not right with God. Unless you pray every day, then you're not right with God. Unless you have a quiet time every day, then you're not right with God. Unless you do these things every day, then you're not right with God. They're laying a different foundation. They're laying a little bit of Jesus and a lot of bit of you for the foundation, and that's a very fragile foundation. The foundation Paul laid, we can read about it in Ephesians, we can read about it in Colossians, we can read about it in Romans. His foundation was really simple. Jesus did it all. And you relate to God based upon everything that Jesus did for you and nothing that we do for him. He did it all. So anybody who comes in and says, yes, I know Jesus did it all, but there's some things you have to do too. They've just messed up that foundation. That's what Paul's talking about. So there'll be a valuation for Bible teachers. Typically when this set of verses is taught, the pastor teaches it as if it's okay, believer. This is for believers here. No, no, this is for Bible teachers in context. This is how God is going to judge people who teach believers. This section of scripture isn't for believers, it's for teachers who teach believers in context. And then he goes into celebration number two. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, his workmanship will be evident because the day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. That's the judgment of what I teach. That day will come for me. That day will come for people who are pastor teachers of churches. The day of judgment of what we taught. The day of evaluation of what we taught. That day is coming. And when that day comes, this judgment will prove the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. So the quality of my teaching will be evaluated by the Lord Jesus Christ. The quality of every pastor on TV who holds a Bible in their hand, who is teaching. The quality of the book that was written by a teacher. The quality of the radio personality. Billy Graham will be evaluated. Every single Bible teacher, they will be evaluated for what they taught. How do I know what I'm teaching is right? When did the new covenant go into effect? When Jesus died on the cross. Jesus said, this is my blood given for the new covenant. 
And we understand in Hebrews that all of our sins are forgiven under the new covenant. We understand that the old covenant went into effect with the blood of an animal, and the new covenant went into effect with the blood of Jesus. So the New Testament doesn't start at Matthew chapter 1. Where does Jesus say the New Testament starts? The cross. I can't care what other people think when I teach that the New Testament doesn't start at Matthew 1. I've got to care that Jesus says the New Testament starts with his blood, not with his birth. And he relates to us in a much different way after the cross than he did before the cross. And I've got to study scripture, as Paul told Timothy, to show myself approved to those that I teach. Typically, that verse is taken out of context to say, hey, Paul's telling you that you need to study to show yourself approved. No, he's not. He's not telling you that. He's telling Timothy that. Because Timothy was teaching in Ephesus. He said, Timothy, when you teach the church in Ephesus, you need to know that you know the scriptures. And the only way you can know that you know is to study the scriptures. Rightly divided between law and grace, old and new covenant, Israel and the church. To understand it and to communicate it. And typically what Bible teachers would do is say, hey, right here in the Bible, you need to study scripture. You should study this, and now I feel guilty because I'm not studying Scripture. That wasn't, the verse was not written to you and me. It was written to Timothy, who was a pastor teacher. I'm a pastor teacher of a church. It applies to me. Not that you can't. If you, if you want to study, sure, study. But that verse is not for you. Oh, gosh, you know, God's telling me I need to study to show myself approved. That's out of context. So there's going to be a lot of evaluation of, of Bible teachers when it comes to what we taught. I think the gold, the silver, and the precious stones are the work of Christ on the cross. I think it's Christ and Him crucified. I think it's the fact that you're righteous before God based upon what Christ did. You're forgiven by God fully based upon what Christ did. You're in fellowship with God based upon what Christ did. That's the foundation that Paul laid. It was all Jesus. That's where he's taking the Galatian church back to. So there'll be celebration for those who have, to me, rightly divided Scripture, teaching the finality and the fullness of the work of Christ. There'll be celebration for those who taught the truths of Scripture and the truths of what Christ did. And they will be rewarded. That's the celebration. But then there will be condemnation for those who built with wood, hay, and stubble. If what they taught is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as if through flames. So here's what Paul's saying. The Bible teacher who, who has come to faith in Christ but teaches works will not receive any celebration from God on the day of evaluation. They will be saved but their ministry will burn up because it wasn't based upon the gospel of grace. It wasn't based upon everything Christ did for us. It was the mixture of law and grace together, of the covenants together. And, and their work will be exposed and they won't receive celebration. They'll experience condemnation, not eternal condemnation, but condemnation for what they taught. They will get zero praise from God. So that's what Paul is referring to when he says back in Galatians 5.10, under number one evaluation. He said, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view, 
that the one who is troubling you, this teacher from Jerusalem who's come into Galatia, the one who is troubling you will bear the judgment. What judgment is he talking about? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 310, and he explains the judgment that every Bible teacher will experience. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, click the Donate button on the Grace Reach website, again, which is gracereach.org. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.